This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 169 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, the basketball season has ended for Georgia State and we'll discuss the Panthers' early exits from Pensacola and look at some transfer news on the men's side. Plus, it's spring game time for football and there's already been a hire made at defensive coordinator. Then we'll talk about a red-hot Georgia State baseball team that's won seven of their last eight games. But first, let's talk about basketball. The season is over for both Georgia State teams, as the men fell 81-76 in the first round of the Sun Belt Tournament to the 11-seed Texas State, while the women's team won their tourney opener against South Alabama before falling to Old Dominion in the second round. Both end their seasons below 500, with Jonas Hayes' group ending up with a 10-21 and record, and Gene Hill's women's squad finishing at 12-21. and After the dust settled in the Pensacola Bay Center, number one seed James Madison earned the women's championship title in the NCAA tournament auto bid with the win over Texas State. In the men's tournament, the two-seed Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns outlasted upstart eight-seed South Alabama to become the only program other than Georgia State to earn multiple NCAA bids since the Panthers entered the league. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Sun Belt tournament? Yeah, this should say implied only Sun Belt program with that number. Uh, And I feel like that's a good place to start for Georgia State fans because I I don't think you saw much to feel better about the way this year went from the Sunbelt tournament first round exit and all, but that stat at least turns around into a humble brag for Georgia state that like they've gone to the dance four times since joining the Sunbelt. It should have been five should have been, could have been six. Uh, and this is the first time that someone else is joining the more than one bid club since you've joined. So it does still point to the success Georgia state's had as a basketball program since joining the Sunbelt. And you can point to that as where you want to return to after what's been a disappointing year. Um, I think the only other positive you can go with is Texas State had a pretty good week and they ended up falling in the semifinal to Louisiana, the eventual champion. And so losing by five to them ages not terribly, especially relative to some of the other real lows of this season. Because it, Texas State came to play in Pensacola and really put together a good week. And so maybe that lost doesn't look as bad as maybe I would have even thought if it was like, oh, yeah, you're going to lose to Texas State in the first round. I I didn't think anyone was going to make it into the quarterfinals from the first day, and they certainly proved me wrong. Yeah, I'll take the first point that you mentioned um, first because you're right. And I think just listening to the announcers as we kind of got – as the season went along and Georgia State faced some road teams, a lot of t- – a lot of people have looked at Georgia State's record and said, yeah, that's not that's not the brand of basketball that they play in Atlanta. A lot of people have said that they expect Georgia State to be, you know, kind of back where they have been the past few years. And I obviously that's wishful thinking. You know, you're being kind to an opponent or you're being kind to a team that you're covering. Um, in the case of Matt Stewart um, and his color guy in the Sunbelt game. But I think those expectations for Georgia state are always going to be there just given the recent run of performance. You know, I don't know that we can say definitively, yeah, they're going to be competing for a, you know, the Sunbelt title next year, but like that's, that is where the baseline expectations usually are for this program. So to have a year like this and for people to say that, you know, they expect competitive basketball to return very soon to Atlanta in the form of Georgia state. It is one, a testament to what they've, built over the last decade and two it kind of is it's humbling a little bit you know like 
bad seasons happen. <laughs> you know, you you have stretches of play where you're not as good as you have been. Like it happens to everybody who steps on the court or the field. So, you know, you, as a Panther fan, you really do hope that this is just a one-year blip in a really nice trend. Um, you hope that Jonas Hayes can find success in, you know, the new people that he is bringing onto the team, or, you know, you, you hope that some of the guys who are remaining on the team can find ways to develop and be those players that you need to be. But like looking at the whole tournament, I mean, you saw some teams who weren't as good last year, dominate the regular season and not even make it. It really was just Louisiana who kind of had that steady presence, you know, in the regular season and found a way to make it to the final. And, you know, I don't know if that bodes well or poorly for Georgia state next year, but you know, as it relates to the Sunbelt tournament, honestly, anything can happen sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's okay, and the goal for the Sunbelt as a whole, for things like, oh, the eight seed made it to the championship game, not being some, like, oh, God moment. Like, I think South Alabama probably ends up as, like, a 14 seed, 15 seed if they had ended up winning. They would have been lower in the totem pole in the seeding than Louisiana is going to end up being, but... I think they had built a nice resume. They ended up being around a top 100 team. And so I think it was different than Georgia State last year being a 16 seed, which I think we all agreed was wrong just based on having watched the team and the talent that was on the roster. But based on the resume and just the very broad scope that the committee takes, a fair ruling. Uh, I think you want to be in a case where, like, even if Georgia State's improvement next year is like, okay, they finished sixth or seventh in the Sun Bowl, it's still not the standard. But, you know, if they're rounding out into like above average and winning record, like that should be where the Samba wants to get to, to where it's not crazy for a team who's playing in that second round to make a run, win the title and be a decent seed in the tournament. And I think we saw the start of that this year because it was a deeper league. South Alabama made that run from the eighth seed and would have been probably in about the same spot that sometimes the conference winner had been in. You know, Georgia State was a 14 seed when they won regular season and won the tournament in 2015 and i think you could have had south alabama in the same spot as the eighth seed if that's a glimpse into the future where the league is deeper it's gonna make the job harder for when georgia state is ta- having these conversations about all right we are back in this title contention window it's gonna make it harder but more rewarding and it's going to raise the profile of the league as a whole which i think this year did for men's basketball in the Sun Belt. You know, you look at what Southern Miss did winning the league, Marshall being there as the three seed, uh, James Madison at the four, and even Old Dominion, who didn't have a standout season. They weren't in the double bye, uh, but they finished at the sixth seed. And, uh, well, I don't think they really want to talk about uh, that tournament because they had a, a a real stinker against Texas State in the second round. I went to a bar um, after work that day because I, so I had some – work dinner to go to and when i saw it on the ticker i was like there's no way that old dominion score is wrong like there it's got to be like halftime or something and texas state has just blitzed them but i did not think that that final was real and i was just in shock because like that was that was by no means a we're only scoring 36 points in this entire game old dominion team like i was very very shocked by that figure but yeah like that aside didn't go great for them in Pensacola. It didn't go great for Southern Miss or uh, James Madison in Pensacola. You know, James Madison's the only one of them who won a game in the tournament, and they fell in the semifinals to South Alabama. 
but they've come in and they had good seasons. Uh, Louisiana had an improved season from last year. South Alabama really found it. I mean, it's the thing with these Richie Riley teams is he goes out and get these transfers and sometimes the chemistry doesn't gel at all. And sometimes it doesn't gel until late in the year. And then you see it really come on. And that was a really good team by the end of the year. And it was a tough out for Louisiana in the championship. And I guess the point of all this is just like, I think we could see a world where the Sunbelt is building towards that two bid nature that I think a lot of people want from men's basketball. And it's just a bummer that the year that that kind of all came together, Georgia state had its worst year in over a decade and everything went poorly. Um, But that's still something to look forward to because I think if they can rejoin the party, that's the type of conference that they've wanted to be a part of. And that, you know, that men's basketball can be that kind of triumph for the conference athletically. Um, This was a good year for that. It was a good year for that, you know, and I mean, we've kind of talked about uh, some of the games and just kind of the results of the tournament, but like, I'll say like, this was a fun tournament. Like I really enjoyed this Sunbelt tournament in a way um, that I didn't expect to just because Georgia state was out so early and just so um, unceremoniously. Um, I really enjoyed, and it's, it's not just because there were upsets necessarily, but just, I felt like the games were just very good back and forth the close games you know some of these scores like the south alabama app state score you know might have been a seven point deficit when you look up but you know we're, we're talking about a team is within two or three right at the end there and then you know you get down to the free throw game and the team ahead just makes their free throws you know i, I don't know specifically that that happened in that game but you know what i'm saying um like the the Troy James Madison game. I mean, Troy absolutely had an opportunity to win it. They just would not go away. I think they cut it to two. Uh, they cut it to two with like six minutes left. They went on a six zero run to cut it to two and just really would not. They could not find just one offensive play. And James Madison kind of outlasted them over those remaining six minutes. Um, but like, it was just a really fun tournament to watch. Yeah, and conspicuously, we haven't mentioned the team of the co- the the podcast supposed to cover. The thing is, is every one of us has seen a game like that watching the Georgia State season. Uh, they lose in the first round, made it close in the end because the second half performance was better, but they were down pretty heavily at halftime and couldn't recover from that and struggled to, you know, just play complimentary basketball when the offense was going well enough that they couldn't get stops. Uh, when the defense wasn't going well, just we've seen the game before and it's unfortunate. And I think, like I said, you feel a little bit better about it because Texas state was playing well in Pensacola and ended up upsetting the three seed Marshall uh, two games after they beat Georgia state. So you kind of go, okay, some of this was about Texas state playing well and getting back to some of that, you know, preseason hype that was around them before they had their own disappointing regular season. But the other parts of it was stuff that we've seen all season and just kind of like all a, a very fitting coda to the year, how everything kind of went down. And I think no one's that upset to see the season go. I don't think so. I don't think anybody's upset. Um, you know, it just. It happened. It's over. And you just got to really look forward to next year. That's really all I'll say about it. 
All right. And of course, the offseason is already well underway, even uh, just in the days following the tournament, with six players from the 2022 to 2023 team already off the roster. Evan Johnson, Jamal Kleiss, Danny Stubbs, and Caleb Scott entered the transfer portal on Monday afternoon, joining Senior Day honorees Joe Jones the third and Kalik Brooks on the departures list to kick off Jonas Hayes' first full offseason as Georgia State's coach. Gentlemen. Yeah, this is the part that I think no one takes joy in. And I'm sure it was not easy with Coach Hayes having some of these conversations as player meetings kicked off to begin the offseason. But these moves are not particularly surprising for me. Caleb Scott's the only one that kind of stands out that I thought he had maybe played his way into a roster spot for next season. But if you look at the lay of the land, they're all guys that were recruits, Coach Lanier brought in, and none of them really found their footing in the rotation. Evan Johnson was the only one who really kind of did this season, but by the end of the year, he had kind of played his way out of it. Just the shooting wasn't good enough. And he's a guy where it, with his size at guard, like if he isn't making the shots and, you know, coach near always talked about, he was the best shooter on the team. So I, I think it's possible. This was the low point of his career as far as like wherever he lands next would not surprise me at all. If he gets back to shooting better than he did this year, it just seemed like he, didn't have a shot at all. Um, but the, that's a problem with the way that Jonas wants to play defense. And, you know, his size could be a liability at that end. And that's far, all fine and well if he's shooting 35, 36, 40% from three. You can live with that. Um, but that was never happening with him. Uh, the other guys really never found their way into the rotation until Caleb Scott right at the end of the year due to some injuries and stuff when Jaheim was out uh, he played some more and he played well but guys that are now technically upperclassmen that I don't think you really look to as like guaranteed locks to play serious minutes I think just a conversation was had where it's like I think you're gonna find more playing time somewhere else it's not really a, a situation where it makes sense for any party to have it stay as is and now there's with the in addition to the two freshmen that have already signed five scholarships that are available and so there's a core of guys that are going to be back you know Dewan Odom Colin Moore Brendan Tucker Jaheim Hudson but it's going to be kind of a different looking team because there's going to be a chance to bring in a lot of new players and so I feel like that's the first thing that you look to after such a disappointing year is you can't run it back and in no way shape or form based on this immediate roster move does it appear Jonas Hayes, his staff, anyone is interested in just running it back? There's an awareness that changes need to be made. The roster needed to make some upgrades. And here's where we are already. I don't want to have a take on it because the results for the season speak for themselves. You know, these are a fine group of young men, but. Georgia State didn't achieve the success that they needed to achieve, both self-proclaimed and just kind of the expectations that I laid out earlier. It now becomes a very important job of replacing these players and using those five scholarships that you mentioned. You know, it's nice to have them, obviously, but as we saw coming into this season, when you've got a lot of turnover and you don't have a lot of guys with a lot of experience, 
you know, you can play a dangerous game. Now, there are teams in the Sun Belt, namely South Alabama, who thrive when it comes to having a bunch of transfers. There are coaches across the country who have done a very good job as it relates to good signing classes and, you know, balancing a strong signing class with, you know, getting impact transfers not just transfers but impact transfers and that's what the challenge going into this offseason is going to be for coach hayes and company um but obviously you know we here at thursday night wish these fine gentlemen well in their future endeavors i was a little shocked that caleb uh entered the portal but i'm also not totally surprised like you said you know he might be able to get some starter minutes at you know at some other school or he might honestly be a really good talented basketball player for somebody else and i i get that i get wanting to seek playing time somewhere else the same thing with evan johnson i mean you know coming into this year evan johnson was probably the player that i was excited the most about but you know it worked out the way that it worked out yeah and i kind of want to put an asterisk next to all of them because if Lanier stays and they have another year developing under the staff of the that recruited them here and had an idea of what the role they were going to play was, things might turn out differently. You know, everything happens and just from there you move on. And so I think it was clear there just weren't enough shooters, scorers um, on the roster, and that those were some guys that just weren't really going to fit any kind of increase to that no matter like they all offered stuff in spurts for sure uh but i just think that it's you looked at guys that were going to be older and that couldn't really shoot or consistently offer offense in any kind of real way and so it's a real place of you know need of improvement and so it it kind of stood out but i don't know that they don't work out at georgia state in a different universe and so i wouldn't be surprised to see any of them find success elsewhere but, you know, you look at it and it, like I said, no one takes any joy in this, but I I do think that it is different than, say, before this season where there were some transfers brought in, the guys I just rattled off that came to the team. And the only one I didn't mention was Jermaine Mann, another one who will be back for next season. Uh, I don't think it's the same because you have those guys and you're not reestablishing a system. And now you're going to have those guys plus two freshmen plus five scholarship players coming in, all of whom have been recruited by the staff. And with the knowledge that you need to go out there and add some shooting and you need to add maybe a guy down low who can offer you some rebounding and be a good mentor type to Edna Moko. So I think it's an entirely different situation and it doesn't mean it's going to work out because you still got to hit on this recruiting, but I don't really see it as, you know, all right, it's it's you're bringing in risky transfers things. I do think you have a basis with the guys you have coming back, but you know what those guys need around them to make them better, and it's a case of getting those pieces because I think you can get better seasons from all the guys who played major minutes on this team that are coming back with the addition of some shooting and with some help down low, and so now that's what it turns to now. The mission is now all about identifying talent getting guys in and you know it starts now uh i think it'll really start even to a higher degree once all the conference tournaments are over and you see more and more people enter the portal from other schools because you know i don't know how many of the scholarships are going to be used on 
current college athletes that entered the portal, I would wager at least three of them probably, because that's just the name of the game nowadays. You just, you go to the portal to get college players who have experience, um, whether they've played a lot and they're a you know, former t- highly touted recruiter, whether they're from a lower level and they've had success and they're going to level up and see how they can do. I just feel like it's going to be an injection of some experienced players at the college level. Uh, but I, I guess we'll see how that pans out as more and more names are out there in the portal. The mentorship that happens from the big is just going to be teaching all Georgia state bigs how to catch in the post because the, yeah. the hard hands has got That'll be out. all some self mentorship in the off season. Just Jaheim and Ed are going to be down working on hands in the post. Got um, to, because, you know, speaking of that idea that you can add something to this team, that's going to make the guys already here better. If there was someone who could be more reliable as an option down low this year, the season that just happened for Dewan to lay off to when he goes on these drives, it would have made his game better. And that's, I think, why adding someone or getting that improvement from Jaheim and Ed would be important. Because I think aside from just adding shooters to have him have more space to operate in, he had some opportunities this year where he was getting a little bit of, you know, getting ahead of a guy driving down the lane. And then someone came over to help. And so there's, you know, Ed or Jaheim would have been down low to get thrown to, but there were some turnovers and not all the passes were great, but there were those situations where he sucks up that attention. And if he has someone to lay it off to for a really easy bucket down low, makes everything better. Um, Obviously wasn't the case this year, but whether that's from outside or inside or both, that's another area where just like we saw something that maybe could be a positive for this team, be an absolute negative because there were just too many turnovers of those types of situations or driving into contested layoffs because Dewan didn't trust that he could make that layoff pass. Um, another part of the uh, offense that could stand to be improved, uh, like you say. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to football. The defensive coordinator vacancy is no more. Chad Staggs has reportedly been hired to replace Nate Fuquay as Georgia State's defensive coordinator. Staggs held the same position at Sunbelt Eastvoe, Coastal Carolina, from 2019 to 2022, and led the Chanticleers defense to top 25 finishes in points per game allowed in the 2020 and 2021 seasons. The move is still, as of the recording of this podcast, not official from the school, but has been confirmed by multiple outlets, including our team at PantherTalk.com. Gentlemen, thoughts? So defense is weird. Um, and I think finding like accurate numbers about defense, defensive statistics as a whole can be tricky because, you know, you really have to watch the game and just kind of understand uh, what's going on. And I, I'll give you a spoiler. I did not go through the last four years of Coastal Carolina tape. Um, and yet, yet exactly. And synthesize every single defensive possession. Unfortunately, I do have a day job. <laughs> um, but what I do know is when Georgia state has played coastal Carolina, or if I've caught coastal playing another opponent, either in the Sun Belt or out, I have noticed, I do remember their defense being very good. At least those first two years of, uh, stags tenure. And as long as he brings that to the 2023 and beyond Panthers, it's going to be a win. You know, I think 
there has been this perception that the Georgia State defense isn't as good as it has been over the last few years. They did regress in 2022, yes. Um, but they have found ways to get after quarterbacks in a way that, you know, has never been the case for the program, you know, and that is important. They have found ways to generate turnovers at rates that has never been, you know, something that the program does. And I think before last season, you know, Brady had talked about this a lot, this idea of where the defense just needs to put it all together. You know, yes, you get your interceptions and your fumbles. Yes, you know, you're getting after the quarterback. Yes, there are times where you're not allowing a lot of rushing yards. Go out there and lead the conference in scoring allowed, you know. Don't allow more than 14 points in a game or something like that, or, or whatever the number usually is. And I think Staggs is a guy who potentially can get the defense to being at that elite level simply because he has been at a elite level when he was with coastal and that you know to me that's a good hire yeah i will be honest i didn't really know the timeline on this but i wasn't necessarily expecting it to be the next pod after we had talked about fuquay leaving that there'd be a hire made obviously it wasn't a long search uh elliot found his guy and made a decision quickly i think it does make sense that it happened in this way with Stag specifically for a couple of reasons. The first being that he runs a three, four defense predicated on stopping the run and uh, pressuring the quarterback. It doesn't sound philosophically that much different than what Fuke was doing here as DC. Obviously I think there will be some differences and I'm still going to look forward to digging into more of coastal's defense and kind of seeing what is different about it. But the basic gist of what they want to do as a defense doesn't feel like it's changing that much. And so for me, I did not really considered him as a candidate, but once I heard the name, it made a lot of sense for that reason. Uh, the other thing that I like about it, like you said, is that while Georgia state never got over the mountain on the defensive side of the ball, had some decent seasons, but never put it all the way together. Chad Staggs' defenses in 2020 and 2021 did that. And they were top two in the in number two in the Sun Belt in scoring defense. And I don't know that he can do that here. I don't know that he can do that here in 2023 because there's some development of guys they're gonna have to replace pretty big players on the defense that Georgia State's lost after the 2022 season. But he's done it before. And you know, given that it was coming off a four and eight year. Um, losing the talent that you did. I don't know that it was that huge of a job to land anyone big. And so getting someone who has had very recent success does stand out as a positive for me because you don't have to say, I wonder if they can lead a defense to these type of numbers, whatever baseline you want to do, because Staggs has done it very recently. And so in that regard, I don't know that you could have gotten a better on paper hire just given where the program is at right at this moment in time. And, you know, that's important. I think we, I don't think we had like specific guys who we thought were the best candidate. We we had some, a list of a, for a, me, it was Woody. I, I thought yeah, it would be Woody if he would say yes, for sure. I, I would not back away from that at all. I thought it would be him. If, if he would say yes. And I also didn't really know that he would say yes, because he probably is happy at army. No, that's fair. And what I mean is, you know, like when Coach Lanier left, I think 
everybody in the Georgia state sphere kind of zeroed in on coach Hayes and, you know, it worked out really well because that one made sense. And I think I thought Woody was a good candidate, but I don't know that he was as slam dunk of a candidate, no pun intended as coach Hayes was. Wow. That's really corny. Anyways. um, I didn't think he was as good a candidate as coach Hayes was, which, which isn't to say anything about Woody. Like I, I, he seemed like a very good candidate, but I think you're right. Like there is an immediacy to the success that Stags has. And, you know, maybe it isn't 2023 where the defense changes, but as long as they go back to where they were in 2021, for example, you can see an improvement in Georgia state's record and in Georgia state's ability to close out games simply if they do that. And if there's even more improvement to be had going into 2024, that's, I mean, that's great for the Panthers. I should say it would behoove everyone involved if the defense does improve dramatically in 2023. Like I, I do think that this is an important year, not just for kind of getting back to winning ways, but resetting just the mojo around the program. Cause I don't know that getting just six and six and finding a way to a bowl game is going to feel that different to some fans who were kind of feeling like things were dropping off. And so, you know, by all means, massive improvements in 2023. Uh, but Day one, putting those expectations on him. I guess we'll wait and see what he brings in. Um, I guess on the technocrat side, I care about this stuff probably more than a lot of other people, but it always interests me, the different assignments of coaching positions and all. Uh, coach Staggs has only ever been a inside linebackers coach and a safeties coach. And the situation with Georgia State is like Antro Allen is basically only going to coach safeties. I don't really see them shuffling him to coach the linebackers or outside linebackers. and. Outside linebackers is the position that Fuquay left open when he left. And so I guess maybe he can coach the outside backers and DC, or maybe Brian Landis, who's the inside linebackers coach, uh, swaps out and play, coaches the outside guys, and Staggs comes in and gets the inside guys. But that's kind of the last thing that we're going to find out once the hire gets made official, just kind of that shuffling of the staff. And because of Georgia State's specific situation, I don't know that a real big shuffle is going to come because like I said, I don't really see them moving Corey peoples or Antrell Allen out of the secondary. Just to see what shakes out there. That might just be me. There might be like me and two other people listening to this being like, yeah, that was a good 30 seconds. I was engaged with that stuff. Might've lost to other people, but you know, it's my podcast. I'm going to talk about random stuff um, about the uh, coaching whole deal that I find interesting. Hey, coaching assignments is very important. Like you need to coach the positions need coaches. And sometimes those guys get positions that are a little bit more visible, like defensive coordinator or something like that. So uh, I think this is very important to your credit as well. All right. So let's talk spring game. It's Thursday today, the day of this podcast released March 9th at 6.30 PM. Uh, Gentlemen, what are we looking for when we go and watch the Panthers play the Panthers tonight. The battle for six flags. <laughs> if you didn't see the video that get, got put out today uh, or as the release of this podcast, Marcus Carroll was mic'd up talking about how the winning team between blue and white, they did another draft. It's going to get to go six flags. So there's real stakes involved here. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I hope nobody gets hurt. You know, you don't want to lose somebody for the season today on the day of the spring game. Um, But I would love to see some competition. I would love to see, 
you know, guys really competing and putting in some effort. You know, you don't have to go 100. Again, it's March. Relax a little bit. But, you know, I think last year, a a lot of guys can kind of relax in the spring game, which is okay sometimes. But now there's a lot of spots that are open and there's not as many set starters. So I want somebody to win some jobs, like just come in, do your thing, get your work in and, you know, also have some fun. Like, yeah, it's a spring game, but, you know, show a little effort, show a little bit more effort than you thought that you would this time a couple of months ago. Yeah, I got to be honest, because they'd done the draft a couple of the last couple of years. I wasn't sure it'd be back because I thought it might be kind of a return to normal, like, all right, let's get to business. I don't mind it. I just was a little surprised by that. And I also just say, as far as like what I'm looking for, if it was a normal thing where you go like first versus first and then the second team come in, maybe you get more of a feel for like these starting positions. But because they did a draft, it's a little bit harder to gauge that stuff. So I'm just going to have to kind of look for the new faces on the team that they're at. And okay, they're going against maybe not the first team offensive linemen. So if it's Kevin Swind out of Clemson at outside outside linebacker, the spring game performance might not tell you as much as it would if they were going good against good, so to say. But you know, I don't necessarily mind the, there being this competition. And obviously, if you've watched the videos any of the years they put out for these draft videos, they have a blast putting the teams together, and you can tell that they're taking it on. Like it's blue versus white right now. Like it's all no, we're not friends with them right now because they're on the other team and they they're getting in the way of our six flag trip and. Given that spring games you know, sometimes turn into weird formats where it's like a pun is worth three points and a sack's worth two points, and playing an actual game that is legible for the fan is nice, and having it be something that they're bought in on is also worthwhile because sometimes spring games can just kind of feel like this thing that you have to get through. So making it an event for the players seems like a real plus. Uh, and yeah, I. I Kind of need to keep studying the roster to kind of see who's going to line up against who. There's obviously guys they're going to watch out for um, on both sides of the ball that are new, kind of new offensive linemen, new guys up front, basically guys at every position that someone left the transfer portal uh, defensively. And uh, kind of just see what they look like in Georgia State Blue. And I guess we should also mention at this point uh, that shortly after Nate Fuquay announced that he was leaving for Cincinnati. Uh, Jeff Clark announced he was going to the transfer portal on Twitter and feels like decent odds. He might end up following Coach Fuquay to Cincinnati. Nothing confirmed on that yet, but just reading the tea leaves on that feels like a possibility. And I think you maybe could have lost someone there and not feel any worse because you're still replacing Thomas Gore. And there are some guys coming back like the likes of Javon Dennis, but certainly Jeff Clark at his peak was one of the better defensive linemen in that room. And so a new roster move that you're going to have to deal with and certainly a loss and wherever he ends up, I'm sure he's going to play really well because he was really budding, you know, growing into a a really solid FBS defensive lineman. All right. And last, but certainly not least, let's talk baseball. Bustlot boys had a 3-1 road trip last week with a midweek win over Alabama State and a series win at Presbyterian on the weekend. 
Buslot boys follow that up with a 14-8 win over in-state rivals Kennesaw State at the GSU Baseball Complex on Tuesday. They'll head back on the road this weekend for three at Clemson, a team they beat in a midweek game last year. So, gentlemen. I'd like to ask a rhetorical question. Uh, anytime you're tied for eighth in the country in home runs, is that a bad thing? Because Now, is that current? Because they hit two more in the game against Kennesaw. It's through Tuesday. Okay. But it says Tuesday the 31st. Um, but it's February. So I'm not sure how current yeah. this is. This doesn't make sense. They're to definitely me. <laughs> were top. They were number eight after that series against Presbyterian. They might have moved up, but also I don't know if it, other teams around them might not have played. And fact of the matter is they're top 10 in homers. Like they are hitting a Bombs. ton of home runs. Yeah. Which and was I, the case last year, but it's gone nowhere. It's it's still there, just ever present in this lineup. And it's it's one of those things where regardless of team quality, I mean, if you're still finding ways to hit homers, you just got to keep hitting them, you know. And I, I know that I specifically have said you can't rely on home runs, which I mean, yeah, that's true. But I mean, they're also pitching well. Like it's it's not like it's completely boom or bust with this team. Um, but it just it feels like last uh, out of conference slate where it was just a lot of boom, and you know the pitching is kind of matching them in a good in a good way right now. I mean, they had a twenty to nothing shutout against Presbyterian this past weekend you know came back next game 10 to 5 came back yesterday 14 to 8 you know like that's they're scoring in the double digits they're not allowing in the double digits like that's the recipe for success yeah i mean you look at the road trip last week and you really feel like it should have been 4-0 like you should have swept presbyterian they were up in that game Everything about the pitching in the Friday game was just a little bit off. Ryan Watson was the starter and just wasn't exactly at his best. Gave up a couple of runs. Then Cameron Landry came in and wasn't exactly at his best. Gave up a couple of runs. And Zach Ottinger, who's been, until that game, was literally near perfect as kind of the late inning guy. Had his first bad outing and blew the save and they lost that one 9-8. That was a game that they kind of let slip and just everything just was enough wrong with the pitching that Eight runs wasn't enough. Winning on the road isn't always easy, and that slipped up. But the response from that to score the next 29 runs of over the next two games says a lot about the team and that you know they won that one badly. And instead of letting because don't forget that was a doubleheader. Game two that was 20 nothing was after that game, about probably 30, 40 minutes after that game ended. Maybe a different Georgia State team, maybe the one from a couple years ago comes out a little bit flat. Clearly, this team did not. And they put it on and put it on and put it on. And then did some on Sunday as well. And uh, won the series. And then came back home against a a Kennesaw program that's been a good baseball program over the last decade. And got a nice midweek win, put up 14. So I I still think you're looking for maybe a little bit more from the pitching. Because I think where you have lost some games this year, it's been on the the pitching side, you know, the 9-4 loss against Cincinnati in the opening series. Big inning that you, you gave up in the middle of the game where eight runs got given up, you know, nine runs in the loss against Presbyterian. But here we are. They've won seven of eight. They've only lost the four times. And one of those times was a forfeit in a game they were winning. And so you have to feel good about where they're at right now. And 
you know, they're going up, they're playing Clemson this weekend. Clemson's reeling a little bit. Clemson has dropped some series. They just lost two or three to South Carolina. You know, it's a team you beat last year. It would be such a stamp of this is for real to go win this series in an ACC stadium. Not a given, not an easy task, no matter how much for real this like meh, 50, 50, uh, five and five Clemson team is, it would certainly point to that. This isn't just, you know, who you're playing. It's that this is a pretty decent team. It's a nice final test ahead of the conference season starting. Um, but certainly a lot to like from the early going from the Georgia state baseball team. It's an interesting test, you know, facing Clemson. I think there's never been a time for them to find them at this spot, them being Georgia State. So, hey, you know, play some good ball, hit some dingers, and let's see what happens. Yeah, and the other thing, I want to go a little bit in the weeds because I feel like sometimes it's kind of like this thing we throw on the end. And one, I would say for anyone out there that was frustrated watching these football and basketball seasons play out the way that they did get in on baseball. I, the games are about to start getting broadcast a little more frequently. This series is going to be on ESPN uh, online through the ACC network extra. And if you go to Georgia state's uh, website, you can see they've updated the TV schedule and a fair few of the road series is getting broadcast. There's also going to be a handful of the home ones starting with the conference opener Next weekend versus Troy, those are all going to be on ESPN Plus. You know, get the bad taste of this entire athletic year out of your mouth by watching this baseball team that's really fun to watch. Um, and the other part of it that I wanted to mention is that it's been interesting because not only has it just been like kind of the, the same just production that you're getting, the home runs, it's been pretty deep. You're getting it from some faces that you know, we weren't projecting it from. Like clearly Max Ryerson, he's got four home runs already. He's got a 439 batting average. He is doing a lot of the work like he did last year. But you're getting guys that weren't those contributors last year. You know, two sophomores that come to mind. JoJo Jackson and Jesse Donahoe both have had really nice starts this season. Will Mize was a guy who kind of lost his starting spot to Luke Boynton in last season. He's come back and he can't stop hitting right now. He's going crazy right now. He's up to a 395 batting average. He's got four home runs. He leads the team with 15 RBIs. You know, it, it was already as we were going into this year, you had like the top four in mind, you know, your Ryerson Boynton Cameron Jones, and you kind of figured one of the transfers they brought in, like Matt Ruiz, was going to contribute. And they, he has, for sure. You weren't necessarily sure how deep it was because you had lost a couple of guys from the last team, like Griffin Chaney. And it's pretty clear it's a pretty deep lineup. And so if you're looking for, is this sustainable? I think at least as far as being a productive lineup, whether the home runs stay in the number that they are at, I don't know. But I think it's a pretty bankable productive lineup because it isn't just one or two guys it's a pretty you know one to nine situation you're getting it from a lot of guys and to speak to that level of sustainability i mean you got four guys who are slugging at least 700 and i said slugging you know like that's as if you have one guy who's at that level okay you know that's fine but you've got 
four guys who are there, you know, we're, and I'm talking about guys who have crossed the 20 at bat threshold, you know, still kind of a small sample size. But then you've got a couple of guys down the list a little bit there who are also still slugging above 500. So the power is there. It's all up and down this lineup. You know, you've definitely got a lot of guys who are putting the ball in play. who are finding the ball hit over the fence, but they're still getting on base too. And like, that's, I think that's the thing that's been important to me as well. 79 walks as a team. Like that's a very healthy number for how many games that they've played. You know, they're getting guys on base. They're getting guys home so far. And yeah, I think, I'm not worried about the pitching just because earlier in the season, the pitching was by no means a problem. And maybe, you know, they just had a little bit of a blip, but I think the team is playing some really complete baseball right now on the offensive side. And, you know, the pitching kind of settles in a little bit. Like it could be a pretty nice run. Like you said, the pitching, I think needs just to find a little bit more depth, because if you look at just the numbers, the three guys that have kind of feel like have earned the weekend starting spots, being Ryan Watson, Joseph Brandon, and Mason Patel, they've all got ERAs under three. You know, and they've made the three starts so far in each of the weekend series. Is I expect they'll probably be the three starters against Clemson this weekend. You know, that is more than what you're looking for from your starting rotation on the weekend. I think the next thing you look for them is maybe getting a little bit more length out of some of these starts, but you live with that production as it is and you just try and get a little bit more out of it. I think what you're maybe looking for is the relief options to come in and offer you a little bit more stability. You know, if this offense has gotten you out to this big nine run lead, maybe keeping it in that ballpark and not giving up like five, because Presbyterian did cut into the lead in that final game after George state went up nine, nothing. And you ended up having to use some of your later inning guys. And so getting some more of that depth and having some of those depth guys, put some more zeros up so that you're not having to use the guys you want to save for close games would do the team a lot of service as far as keeping the pitching all in a good spot arm wise. But I think it's a different place where you definitely feel comfortable with your starting options there. You're not, you know, coach Dombrow talks at the beginning of the year, like we want non-conference to be about, let's find out who's got these roles in the rotation. And I think that it, that's been answered and that's a big plus. And that's something that's the kind of the building block for you to build out the rest of your pitching. And now with those near certainties, you can look forward and find the right rules for the rest of the guys around them. All right. Before we get you out of here, of course, we got to talk about everything that's happening in Georgia State Athletics this week, starting with, of course, the spring game tonight as the release of this podcast, 6.30 p.m. at Center Park Stadium. Free admission, free parking in the green lot. Show up, be there. We'll be there. Brady and I will be in attendance, and we'll uh, of course report on all of that in next week's podcast, as well as our regular coverage over on PantherTalk.com. And then on Friday, baseball starts their series at Clemson, playing the Tigers at 4 p.m. And then Saturday, they also have a game at 2 p.m. as that series continues, while women's tennis heads to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, to take on Southern Miss at 10 a.m. Sunday. Women's tennis heads to Mobile, Alabama to take on South Alabama at 10 a.m. Baseball has their third game of the Clemson series at 1 p.m. And then on Tuesday, baseball heads down to Mercer to face the Bears at 6 p.m. And on Wednesday, men's tennis heads to Boca Raton, Florida to face FAU. And then softball has a doubleheader in Atlanta versus Western Carolina. 
And that's all that's going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. Thank you very much for listening to the Thursday Night Podcast. We will see you at the spring game, and we will see you in the next week's episode. Have a good week, and go Panthers!